to wrestling recommendations i am your host eddie shepherd along with the hot and sweaty travis lester i've been uh weed eating and spraying roundup today so it's hot as balls here in uh east tennessee so it's super fucking fun it is so fucking hot in this room that i'm recording in i wish i would have left the door open in here to let some air circulate but i've been keeping it closed to keep the heat in here and it's like a fucking sauna. I'm probably going to lose about five pounds for this fucking episode's over with. Fuck yeah. Sweat it out, brother. That's how you used to get the Salmas out of their system. Sweat them out. <laughs> this is episode 45. Uh, in this episode, we get to see the debut, the WCW debut of Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight title from the Great American Bash 1996. I think this was your pick. I do believe it was my pick. Uh, I, that list was made so long ago, I was just literally listing matches that I knew were good. And I knew this one was good, so it went on my list. We, tr- we tried not to duplicate our stuff too much. Because we would bounce it back and forth. I'd be like, well, I'm going to put this one down. Do you have this one? And you'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, well, I got that one. And then just, that's our list didn't have a whole lot of overlap. We were trying to do it where we didn't double up very often. Yeah, I think there's only a handful of times you and myself were like, oh, yeah, we already have this one on there. Uh, I know people like Scott and um, our buddy Eric, they make recommendations to us to add to the list, and we've already had them. And Brandon, of course, uh, here's, there's a few that he adds as well that we already have. So it's very seldom that we overlap. However, I'll talk about it when we get towards the end of this episode. There's a lot of matches from this time period from the Cruiserweight division. Because it's fucking awesome. It really did, uh, it really did make... WCW kind of like the premier undercard. The undercard was fantastic in WCW because of the Cruiserweights. We'll get to it. But before we can even talk about the Cruiserweight Championship, let's go back even further than that to the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. WCW originally introduced the Light Heavyweight Championship in 1991 with a tournament being held to determine the first champion. At Halloween Havoc 1991, Brian Pillman defeated Richard Morton, God, heel Ricky Morton, in the finals to win the title. Yeah, don't remember much about that at all. (laughs) Fucking heel Ricky Morton. Pillman's reign as champion continued until December 1991 when he began to feud with Jushin Thunder Liger, who defeated Pillman for the championship at a house show in Atlanta, Georgia on Christmas Day 1991. Pillman would win the title in a rematch at Super Brawl 2 in February 1992. That match is on our list. Good match. Damn good it's match. It's a pretty good show, actually. Overall, Super Brawl 2 is a pretty good show. It's freaking stinging Luger, baby. It is. It is for the title. <clears throat> Pillman would hold the title until he was defeated by Scotty Flamingo at Beach Blast 92. Goddamn Raven, man. It doesn't even look like him. It's wild. And, uh, even then, he didn't look like a fucking light heavyweight. Sorry. He did not look like a light heavyweight at that time. They're like, we just got to change this belt because... No one's paying attention to it. (laughs) 
Scotty Flamingo's reign ended by Brad Armstrong, great wrestler, during a house show. The match was filmed out of sequence, because WCW, with several other televised championship matches, which meant Flamingo would tape a de title defense against Scott Sandlin, despite having already lost the championship, while Armstrong recorded a match against Tracy Smothers, RIP, that would air as a title defense, despite being shot before his win was officially acknowledged. How do they keep up with that shit, dude? That had to be fucking hard. Goddamn candy, man. Goddamn, Goddamn candy, candy man. man. I don't know how they did it either because they did it with the world title, too. Like, they had already filmed Sid winning the belt when he got fired for stabbing Arn Anderson. Uh, you've already, we've already talked about how the fabulous Freebirds had a negative title reign uh, when they won the, the tag titles. So, it's um, I don't know how they kept up with it, man. Like, they had to have it on the board, like, this person won the belt on this day. We 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 had this is going to be taped for this day of TV. Like they had to have some kind of system, but Jesus Christ, it's confusing. Yeah, I I I don't know how they kept up with it. Which you know, there's not the internet. Then you know, it's not you know, it's not like you could go find. Oh, he he's defending the title even though he hasn't won it yet. It's not really common knowledge. I mean, unless you're a supermarket like getting Meltzer's newsletter and you won't even know then until a couple, you know, like a month or two later. So uh, I guess it's a little bit easier to kind of do it then than it would be to do something like that now. Yeah. There's, there's no way it would happen now because someone would tweet it or report it to a dirt sheet and then they would have it the next day or the same night. So you can't really backdate a championship anymore. No, no, not at all. Armstrong's reign saw the return of Jushin Thunder Liger as they fought on several occasions, either with Armstrong winning or the match ending in a draw. Armstrong's last title defense was against Scotty Flamingo in August of 1992. In September 1992, Brad Armstrong suffered a knee injury in the match with Great Muda. Armstrong was formally stripped of the belt at Clash of the Champions as the result of him not defending the title for 30 days and another tournament to appoint a new champion was announced. However, Bill Watts took over as head booker for WCW. Among many things Watts changed, there was a new rule that would state any move performed from the top rope was illegal and would result in a DQ. This effectively ended the viability of the light heavyweight style, which relied extensively on such moves, even though the matches involved in the championship picture had been considered outstanding by fans. Imagine that. It's because Bill Watts didn't get it. Like he had a junior heavyweight champion who was Danny Hodge back in the day, and that was mainly <laughs> like it was because he was like a, a smaller guy. They'd pretty much had this belt, and he didn't do anything flashy. He was a ground and pound guy. Uh, Bill Watts was definitely set in the old school. Like you didn't fly off the top rope. You didn't have fucking mats to fall on. Um, just uh, I wouldn't have wanted to be a light heavyweight in the Bill Watts era because if you're flying from the outside to a damn concrete floor, you're probably going to blow more knees out that way than Brad Armstrong did it with mats on the ground. So uh, it's, it's a kind of a blessing that they did take that, <laughs> that damn belt away. Someone who got killed. You know, when you come to think about it, Watts kind of dropped the ball quite a bit with Pillman. I mean, he could have had a huge star on his hands and, you know, even putting him at like the forefront of this division kind of uh, cut him off at the knees, man. So, well, what was it like? He was ended up being the most high, highest paid jobber essentially because they wouldn't, he 
wouldn't take a pay cut. And Bill Watts said, well, if you don't take a pay cut, I'm not going to push you. And he's like, okay, well, let's get paid the money. So he was <laughs> essentially the highest paid jobber. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Like he, he didn't see any value in Pillman at all for some reason. Fucking idiot. As a result, the play-in tournament was never held and the light heavyweight division was ignored for the remainder of Watts' tenure. Fast forward, in February 1996, Eric Bischoff announced on commentary during a Nitro that there would be a tournament to crown a new champion for the smaller weight class, with the title being named the WCW Cruiserweight Champion. I, I like cruiserweight better than I do light heavyweight. It's different. It, it, it just kind of rolls off your tongue better. Like, I don't know. It just, it was a distinctive name for a division. Like, it didn't have to ride off of a heavyweight division. I, I like that it had its own essential name. I, I, I think they kind of took it from like boxing because, you know, you have Bantam weight, you had all these other weights as well. So it kind of, mm. it's kind of a play on that. So the crazy thing about this is I started thinking about it. I was like, Okay, so I know who became the first Cruiserweight champion, which we'll talk about. But I didn't know how because I'm like, was there a tournament or what? I couldn't find anything on it. So I sent Travis on a wild goose chase, and he found this article that explains, quote-unquote, I mean, this is the best way of saying it, how the Cruiserweight title became to be in this quote-unquote tournament. So, Travis, I have the... I have pretty much the whole breakdown of it, so let's go ahead and get through it. The announcement of the tournament was not accompanied by a bracket or a list of competitors, but it was mentioned that it would be an international tournament with a portion of it taking place in Japan. A month later, on March 20th, Otani defeated Crispin Benoit, become the first Cruiserweight champion in a match that was aired almost immediately in Japan. WCW had not even started televising cruiserweight matches and made no mention of the Otani Benoit match. Three days later, after it took place, they announced an incomplete list of competitors that would be participating in the now finished tournament. Get, I, get this they have not even announced the competitors to a tournament that has already finished. Exactly. They didn't think it through at all. Like, I, I remember watching back through these nitros and when you brought that up i was like i don't remember a tournament at all like i remember them mentioning it but i don't remember a tournament at all and like, i racked my brain racked my brain and then i officially just went down a google rabbit hole and found the article you're you're talking about and it, it, i would rather them tell me they won the belt in uh, rio de janeiro than what See, happened that, that was <laughs> my thought so process bad. too uh, i know what you know with our group chat over with the wrestling purist guys i was like is this a phantom tournament is this a rio intercontinental title tournament that you know like how pat won otani won and they just had the finals and at that point kayfabe wise i would have bought it all they had all they would have to say is we've had all these matches and these are the, this is the finals yeah it's it was held, and otani held in our partner new japan and you know based on their super j cup or something they could have done it like that but that's too early in the year for the j cup but yeah, they could have they could have kayfabed it, and I would have believed them. I mean, freaking ninety yeah. six. I have no idea how to find out what's going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. See, that was my thought process. So we we start keep we keep going here. 
Uh, names included in the uh, turn in the tournament were Benoit and Otani, along with Dean Malenko, Jushin Thunder Liger, Rey Mysterio, and a number of others from Japan and the United States. The following night, the first tournament match was aired in which Mr. JL defeated Dean Malenko to seemingly advance to the first the next round of the tournament. <laughs> That's Jerry Lynn, by the way, guys. Yeah, under a mask. For the next several weeks, the tournament was rarely mentioned on WCW programming, but it wasn't completely abandoned. On an April edition of WCW Saturday Night, Eddie Guerrero, who had not yet competed in the tournament, defeated Mr. JL, eliminating him. Later that night, Brad Armstrong defeated Dean Malenko, who'd already lost in another tournament match. <laughs> Just make it, we got to make it double elimination. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, here, yeah. It was then that WCW fans were told this is a double elimination tournament. Neither Eddie Guerrero, who's one and O, and Mr. JL, who's one and one, competed in another tournament match. At least some semblance of order was being presented as the tournament finals were announced for the May pay per view Slamboree. A couple of weeks later on an episode of Nitro, commentators acknowledged that the Benoit versus Otani match had happened as part of the tournament, only stating that Chris Benoit had faced off against Otani and lost. The fact that this was the tournament final or that it happened a month earlier was completely ignored. They also stated that as a result of his victory, Otani would head to the finals to take on one of Bobby Eaton, Brad Armstrong, or Eddie Guerrero. <sighs> the logistics of having one guy advance to the finals with three variables as his possible opponent do not make much sense. But even beyond that, Bobby Eaton hadn't even competed in the tournament yet. Nope. The following week on WCW Saturday night, Bobby Eaton defeated Steve Dahl, thus qualifying him to be one of the finalists. The match was pre-taped, which explains the mention of the victory five days earlier on the same show, Chris Benoit, who was already announced as eliminated, advanced past Alex Wright in a tournament match. Make he's already been sense. announced he's, he's eliminated. He's already lost in the finals. <laughs> so the finalists in this tournament are Bobby Eaton, Brad Armstrong, Eddie Guerrero, and Otani, with one of the first three taking on Otani in the finals. Chris Benoit just won a tournament match after the finalists were announced. Mr. JL had as many tournament victories as anyone else, but has long since been forgotten. The actual finals took place two months prior when Otani defeated Benoit and the announced finals are going to be held at Slamboree. However, no tournament final ever took place at Slamboree with no other televised tournament matches happening at all. Rey Mysterio and Psychosis were advertised to debut during the tournament, but they had never had any tournament matches. Eric Bischoff would then announce Otani as the winner and first Cruiserweight champion during the first Nitro of May 1996, weeks before Slamboree. This is fucking nuts, dude. Oh, yeah. When, <laughs> it's not when, the best part. <laughs> when Bischoff announced Otani as the winner of the tournament and new Cruiserweight champion, he'd already lost the title belt four days prior to Dean Malenko at a worldwide taping. This was Otani's only appearance as Cruiserweight champion. Tony Schiavone would inaccurately report that Otani defeated Brad Armstrong in the tournament final, a match that never took place. Holy shit. Brother. <laughs> Brother. 
As I was reading the, all this, shout out to the to who I can't remember who posted this. They they had this nice little story. Shout out to them. That's where I got all this info from. I was like, uh, what the fuck? I should not even ask. I should have just said, oh, it's a fictional tournament. This <laughs> is WCW 1995 at its fucking peak. Uh, they're too worried about Hogan, brother. They're not worried about this cruiserweight title at all. And the fact that Otani technically is probably what a negative 30 day title reign essentially. Cause he won the belt <laughs> a month before it was ever announced. He was champion. And then he already had lost it before he was announced champion. So, and then on top of that, they don't even know who he beat for the fucking belt. Like they don't even mention it. They don't even tell you who he beat anything. Like, they're just like, Oh, you know, he beat Brad Armstrong. Cause you have no way of fucking knowing because there's no footage of it. I mean, I even tried to find the full mat, this full Benoit match, and I couldn't find the full match. I just found about a ten minute part of it on YouTube. Could not find the entire match. Not even on my damn torrent website. I use. That's the that's the same match I sent you. The finish, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The springboard so, from what I watched, tea, brother. Holy shit! For '96, dude, that was a hell of a move. Otani uh, defeated Benoit with a. He did a springboard off from the outside off the top rope into a DDT on Benoit and Benoit sold the shit out of it. Very, very awesome. I, I really would love to watch the entire match. Cause that's like 96 horseman Benoit in there. And uh, it's pretty impressive. It's just well, wild to me that this is how, this is how they came up with all of this. Essentially it's a match lost to time because in the grand scheme of this tournament quotation tournament, it would probably have been a, it's it's a great match. I pay, apparently Meltzer rated it four point five, which is pretty much five, uh, if you listen to his reasoning these days. Um, but no one ever talks about it because it's never really seen. Like you would think, WCW could have capitalized on it enough to put it on Saturday night or main event or or something. Worldwide, just show something. the match. Just show the match. Like doesn't have to be on Nitro, nothing like that. Just but oh, and here's the finals from Japan. This international tournament, the finals of. Right here, and then you share the footage, and boom, there you go. But nope, no mention of it. Can't find the match anywhere. No one talks about it because no one's ever really seen it. It's nuts. Sad. It's nuts. So that gets us to where we are right now. We talked about Dean Malenko on our past episode of Dean versus Chris Jericho from Slambery 98. Uh, but Dean would make his debut in WCW in September 1995. As we talked about on our Juventud Guerrero Rey Mysterio episode from March of 96 in ECW, that match was his final match uh, before signing with the WCW. Rey would make his official WCW debut on this show, The Great American Bash, in June of 1996. The show, Travis, The Great American Bash took place June 16, 1996 in Baltimore, Maryland. Attendance was 9,000. Looking like more when you do the when they do the crowd shots. Um, definitely thought it was more going to be a packed house than that because Baltimore was a hotbed for WCW from the Great American Bashes in the past to um, Clash Champions, all the stuff they did for. It. I mean, they, Ring of Honor used it as a hotbed later on. So they talk about this great. is the same arena that Sting beat Flair for the title in 1990. Man, Kyle Sting. I, I never did post our uh, <laughs> our version of that song. Um, Does this? Does sorry, this. sorry, sorry. 
here's the card. So here's what happened. So this card is kind of weird. It's a little all over the place. However, there are some gems on this show. Uh, the Steiner Brothers defeated Fire and Ice, who's Scott Norton and Ice Train. Conan defeated El Gato to retain the WCW United States Championship. Diamond Dallas Page would put his battle ball ring on the line against Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Yes. Told you this card's weird. We would get Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight Championship. John Tenta defeated Big Bubba Rogers. Yeah, terrible match. <laughs> Happens what right after this match. Don't watch it. It's so it's, bad. It's bad, but it's a good it's a good come down spot because the crowd does get hot during this match when we cover this. They oh. they call John Tenta because they said, "Oh, the cruiserweight match. Dean Malenko is the man of a thousand holds." And they're like, "Oh, John Tenta, the man of a thousand pounds." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> just wow. bury the guy. Why don't you?" It's fuck? fucking bad. It's not good. It's not good. And then we would get Chris Benoit defeating Kevin Sullivan in a false count anywhere match. I got to tell you, so I've been getting to work super early, and uh, bring my laptop with me. I've been, you know, hanging out where you know I work. There's a cafe area where I work. I was going over there, and um, I got all my notes done. I was like, you know what? I really want to watch this match. So I fast forwarded through the John Tenta match because I was like, I wasn't going to do that to myself. And this Benoit Kevin Sullivan match is fucking awesome. It is like I was telling you, like, I wish more people had a feud with this kind of intensity, which we all know, you know, the reason why there's some kind of hostility between the two. I mean, of course, you know, Nancy and Kevin and and Chris, I mean, we all know what eventually what happens, you know, years upon years later. But there's intensity there and they beat the piss out of each other and they go to the men's room and they start wrestling and Dusty's like, there's a woman in the men's bathroom. Daddy, there's a woman in the men's bathroom. And he keeps saying plunder. He's like, there's plunder everywhere. There's plunder. Cause he pulls out a bag of damn uh, toilet paper from like a hidden spot <laughs> in the wall. Like I, I watched the match. I'll let, I'll just let it keep playing today in the background while I was working. And I was like, he really pulled a fucking bag of toilet paper out of the wall and, and beats Benoit with it like it's supposed to hurt him. I couldn't remember. There's a spot there, too, where, like, Kevin Sullivan's trying to put Benoit's face in a urinal. And I'm like, did he fucking do it? I couldn't remember. I was like, is, does he stop it? And then he, he stops it. But, dude, they it was, a, it was a fun match. Dusty on commentary was great. It was a fun match. They get into the ring. They set that table up on the top rope. He does a superplex off the table, gets the mm. win, Arn comes in there and starts attacking Kelvin, uh, Kevin Sullivan, and the crowd fucking erupts. Because the whole thing is lately, um, Arn was kind of like on the fence with Kevin Sullivan, and you know him and Benoit were at, kind of at ends, and then Pillman, all the Pillman stuff had just happened, you know, uh, like the month prior. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of shit going on, and uh, we get fucking Benoit pretty much becomes a made man with the Horseman. There's an awesome promo afterwards with Benoit, Arn, and Flair with a woman and um, Elizabeth and it's, it's, it's fucking really good. It's crazy to think too, because if, if Pillman would have stayed, that would have probably been Pillman's spot. You're and, right. And he, the, I respect you Booker man and all that stuff. Then he tricks Bischoff into letting him out of his contract. And he shows up in ECW. So, I mean, I, I think we got the better end of it with the Benoit Sullivan stuff. Cause it was almost real. Like they were really taking it out on each other because 
I mean, they were being, you know, safe, but they were fucking snug as hell. They were stiff. Yeah, they, I, I yeah. put, I was like, this is, then, like, you can tell they're being professional, but they're being super snug on everything they're doing. I fucking loved it. If uh, there's, and, and then, of course, right, right after that, it's Sting and Lord Steven Regal. Sting right now is, is one half of the WCW tag champs with Luger. And he, that matches on our list, Sting and uh, Regal. That was the match we were thinking we were going to get last week when we spun the wheel. We, so and we, ended up with, we ended up with this match, but hey, this match is great too. I think I might add the next week. I'm going to add the Benoit Kevin Sullivan match because we already have the Bash of the Beach match. But mm-hmm. I had so much fun watching that match. It, it's probably the most fun I've had watching wrestling in a long time. It was really good. Um, then of course we get Ric Flair and Arn Anderson defeating Kevin Green and Steve Mongo McMichael after Mongo turns into a horseman. Turns on him, but brother, Kevin Green brought his wife to the show just to get turned on. Yep, you're right. And Deborah was the one that kind of pushed him to turn. Mm-hmm. I fucking love. I love that. It's good. It's a good little angle too. Um, I like that a lot. And then right after that, Nash and Hall fucking attack Bischoff and powerbomb him through the fucking table. It's a wild time, man. Because he Bischoff, like I said it last week, Bischoff takes it high and tight. Like he goes off the stage and lands on his shoulders and neck right through those tables. And Nash is about to walk off like, we don't fucking care. And they're like, oh, this is the guy that just signed us to our contracts, but we might have just killed him. It's fine. Yeah, and it really kickstarts everything into, you know, them. Because I'm pretty sure this is the promo, too, where they he, they actually acknowledge that they're not, they weren't sent there by WWF. Oh, because yeah, Bischoff, the asked them, Bischoff asked them, he says, "Are have you been sent here from the WWF? And they're like, no. No, like that's like the beginning of the promo. Then they get into whatever you know. They you want to jack us the, around, jack you, boom, get some. Yeah, because he says that you know short that's going to announce who's going to be your three. He's like, well, we'll talk. We're, it's going to be announced on Nitro. He's like, don't jack us around. Don't. And he punches him and <laughs> he powerbombs. It's good shit, man. It's a great angle. It really is. And then uh, the main event. It's kind of a lackluster. It's giant the, defending the title and defeating Lex Luger. We also get a very weird Lex Luger promo. Oh my God, it's so weird. Out of respect to Eugene and the WCW, I want to give you this, uh, uh, give you this interview time. But my mind is elsewhere, or a thousand miles from here, or something. And then and Gene finishes it for him. Like, in the ring, you mean it's in the ring, right? He's like, yeah, it's in the ring. And then it's just he stumbles over everything. It's like it's a weird he, promo, man. And and it's a weird time because Luger's just kind of been a heel for. He's like, the first time when he came in, because stinging him win the tag titles, not really. Roll of quarters, they, yeah. Doesn't he win it with a roll of quarters? Like he cheated, but Sting doesn't realize he cheated. Yeah, like, and then and, they beat the Steiners, and then that was like Sting didn't want to win that way. And then now, now Luger's all of a sudden a babyface, so it makes no fucking sense. Whatsoever. I think they realized they needed another baby, the top babyface, to go against the NWO. So that's what the whole no. idea was. And you haven't really been able to do. Luger and Hogan, so that's always something they have kind of revved up, ready to go. Also, as as something fun, guys, just look up the Great American Bash '96 poster. It's Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund having a cookout, and uh, Gene Okerlund has a plate full of meat that spells WCW, and Bobby Heenan's on a grill with flames, and he's at matching shirt and shorts, and it's very <laughs> '90s. It's very very terrible. Yeah. So, like I said, this show's actually. It, 
it has some it has some low spots, but there's some fun stuff on this show. Like if other than just watching this match, I recommend checking it out. Just especially for that Benoit match and that Sting match, which we're going to cover, you know, eventually. And uh, there's just a lot of moving parts. You're, they're moving towards, you know, the NWO showing up the next month. So, Travis, before we roll into this week's episode and actually watch the match, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with you. Next Generation Wrestling is an independent wrestling organization that runs professional wrestling shows in East Tennessee. We have been running shows since 2014 and have featured talented independent wrestlers from all over the world, with our shows being featured primarily on High Spots TV. Follow us on all social media platforms at NextGenTN to find out about upcoming shows. Hello, Wrestling Recommendations listeners. My name is Ryan, one half of the Wrestling Purist Podcast, alongside my tag team partner and best friend, Jeff. We are the Wrestling Purists, two guys who share a love for the sport of professional wrestling and have been podcasting since 2020. Our flagship series, The Retro Review, is where we take a show from the past, bring it to the present, and cover it through the lens of a wrestling purist. We also have Pure Talk, an interview series where we welcome talent to the pod to talk all things professional wrestling. We can't talk about our pod and not mention The Shoot, a series where we get together with our good friends, Eddie and Travis, from right here at Wrestling Recommendations and shoot on whatever needs to be shot on. You can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are available. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and all social media outlets at WPPod1. All direct links and more are available at our website, linktree.com slash WPPod1. Come give us a listen as we give a pure take on professional wrestling. And we are back, guys. Travis, are you ready to watch this match? Let's do it. Mm. So, guys, we're going to watch this episode here on Peacock. Uh, if you want to join along, just go to uh, the Great American Bash. We're going to go to 1996. Uh, we're going to start right as the Cruiserweight title little graphic pops up. Um, so, yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to say three, two, one, play. And get rolling. Three, two, one. And play. Do it, do it. Oh, man. I love the setup for this show. This setup is great. This is very WCW kind of setup here for a while with the dual screens. I mean, they use it numerous times, but it's a, it, it, works. it looks good. And it's kind of the same setup they have for every Baltimore show. Like, they have the long ramp and, like, a little stage. Because I can remember the WCW older shows have that three-tier stage, like you step down on. Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird. little stinger there. It's a diesel shirt. He does uh, this. Junior Seau jersey. Ugh. So the cool thing is that this is Rey Mysterio's debut in WCW. From everything I saw, he had no house show matches. He had nothing um, previous to this on his uh, cage match. So it was literally the match he had with... Um, psychosis right into this. No, nah, man, you're wrong. He was in that tournament. Him and psychosis were announced to the tournament and they, they, they wrestled. Were... This never told hey, you guys. About. 
I, I still can't believe that. That's just, it's just really wild to me that all that was a thing. I had no idea, which I'm, I'm really, really glad to learn it, but it's fucking nuts. It, it is funny to watch Damon Lingo come down here. He's literally just touching his ripped, wrist tape gingerly, like, uh, 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 uh. He does it like 20 yeah, times, but he doesn't do anything. He's like, he doesn't know what to do with his hands. He's like, what do I do? Like it's it's a very generic wrestler coming out. Like, I'm going to touch my wrist tape multiple times. Did have a nice uh, little vest there, though, for, for the Iceman. Dude, he's fucking Jack too. I don't know. I mean, we don't really talk about it enough, but he's in great, phenomenal shape right here. That beard's lined up too. It is. I like that. It's nice. Rey Mysterio looks so small compared to Dean Malenko in this match as well. A little, little handshake there. Like, fuck off here, Rey Mysterio. Uh, this is that one ref too with the goofy haircut. <sighs> Which one is that one? He's no, he's no Tommy Young. I do like that they bring Mike Tanay in because he's the uh, – I forgot what they call him. They don't call him the professor yet. They call him, like, uh, I don't know, the wrestling historian or something to begin with. Yeah, this guy's got a weird mullet. Very lined yeah. up. It's funny. I have in my notes you know, how great it is to hear Mike Tanay put over the cruiserweights. Uh, as a kid, I used to think it was a big deal when they brought Mike Tanay out, and he was very, very knowledgeable. You felt like you were getting, like, a wrestling lesson when he came out. So I really, really enjoyed that. We'll give you give Dusty Rhodes credit too, though he he puts over the cruiser cruiserweights pretty hard. He even says this like this is going to be a classic. He's like this is going to be what the cruiserweight wrestling's all about. So Dusty very much looking forward to this match as well. Double nip up there. Yeah, they they do a lot of uh, they do a lot of stuff together. So something about this match I really like. What you'll start to see is it's a slower paced cruiserweight match. This isn't your like car crash cruiserweight match. This match has a lot of meaning behind it. There's a spot that happens when it comes up, you'll see it, where Dean takes out Ray's like arm and elbow, and that is the focal point for the entire fucking match. I love it. I do not like the mat though. It's very it's WCW Saturday Night Matt. Oh yeah, with the tar- with uh, cross the crosshairs and cross stuff. Hairs. I do not like that the ref that. is taller than both the guys in the match. At least it's not Nick Patrick. <laughs> he would be off frame right now. His head would be over uh, out of frame. If he was in the Dude, back. it definitely would be. Also, around this time, didn't, didn't see a lot of wrestlers with kick pads. So, no, yeah, I noticed that too. I didn't really recognize Ray always wearing kick pads around this time either. And oh, look at that beautiful, beautiful spot. This this is the first time these two guys have have faced off against one another as well. Because Tanae even mentions that. He's like, this is the first time ever meeting. He's like, it's wild. Because they were in ECW around the same time and stuff, too. So it's it's crazy they didn't touch before now. It's crazy to see how small Rey Mysterio is here compared to, like, now how much muscle he's packed on. He looks almost like a completely different person. The craziest part, though, too, Rey Mysterio is only 21 years old, old here. Oh, yeah, because they talk about him being 14 when he debuts, and Tony Schiavone's like, what? He's 14 when he debuted. Like, he didn't know that, and Tanae blew his mind, which was which was cool. You, you could definitely hear the surprise in Schiavone's voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, this, they're going to do a, a t- the test of strength here, and they do a really good job of making Ray look cool here. 
And some, you know, when we get to cage match, um, there's a complaint people have. They, I mean, I kind of say, you know, oh, this doesn't ruin it, but it, a lot of people's complaint was they felt like it didn't let Rey Mysterio shine enough. I think it's actually perfect because he's a new guy. He's going to go out there and he's going to um, show a little bit of what he can do. And it, you'll start to see it towards the end of the match. And it gets people wanting to see him wrestle more to see what else he can do. Yeah, you can't can't show all your tricks in the first match. I mean, he did enough to get people hooked that like, this guy's going to be something special. And I agree with you there. He didn't have to show everything he did because what he did was enough to get everybody talking about him. Yeah. When did you first see this match? Probably when I bought the tape, man. Um, I, oh, oh, I don't. Oh, oh, here it oh. is. Yep. Beautiful. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's that's where he he, he took his elbow out right there. Uh, go on. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was when I was doing my tape collecting. Like that was the first time I saw this match in its entirety. Like um, they'd probably shown some clips and stuff on Nitro, but I know they show clips the second time these guys meet on Nitro, and I believe it's when uh, Ray wins the title from him, but. I hadn't seen the full match till I actually bought the VHS tape when I started collecting tapes back in the day. So probably around 2000, 99, 2000. Because this tape wasn't hard to get at the time. No, uh, there used to be a little mom and pop. I think I've talked about it before on the podcast. It, might, it may not have on the, or on this one, maybe on Wrestling Ruin. Um, but there was a mom and pop um, video store in Florida I used to go to all the time. And they had almost they they was they were the only place that had every new WCW tape. Whenever a new WCW tape came out, he would have it. Um, it was an Indian gentleman. I can't remember his name, um, but he was the first one of the first times I went in there and he saw as a wrestling fan. He gave me a copy of a uh, Meltzer dirt sheet, and it was like he was he was signed up and he got the newsletter, and he let me see. And I was like, "What is this?" And I started reading. I was like, "What is all of this?" Because you know. I'm like, this is probably what, like 98, something around then. I'm like, mm -hmm. what the hell? And knowing that wrestling is not, you know, it's a work, but not knowing all this other stuff is going on. Like all these people know all this stuff and it's getting released. What? Like this is, this is nuts. I was like 10 years old. This is crazy. Uh, but yeah, that, that little store, they, they had always had every single, every single new wrestling tape. That guy even recorded WrestleMania 14 and let me borrow it. He brought it to to the video store to let me personally borrow it because he knew I was a wrestling fan. It's pretty cool. Also, Malenko's really working over the arm here. He, he did an arm breaker where he pulled him off the ground. He just used the guardrail. So this is where you start talking about. He starts really working that arm. But see, I we had a, my video store had select tapes. I'd have to go out of my town to find the other tapes and stuff. But this one I don't ever remember renting as a kid. Like. I remember like the the WCW like ninety seven and ninety eight boxes that had that silver outline. That's when I really mm -hmm. started like watching the WCW tapes. I remember them having them. Um, and it was, around, the, it was around like ninety, like what the end of ninety six, ninety seven. They started doing that. Mm -hmm. so that was fantastic. Oh, yeah, they they started. I can remember uncensored ninety seven for some reason having it because NWO sold out. It's not never been released on a VHS tape unless it was overseas. It was never released in the US. 98 was but yeah 97 was not it's kind of probably because it's a terrible show yeah you're right <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> yeah we didn't talk about it right there like ray mysterio was going for a um like a hurricane rana and he flipped 
did a backflip, landed on his feet, and Dean caught him with a clothesline and just took his head off. And he's still working on that arm. Limb manipulation, if you will, Travis. Damn right. And that's probably what people like talk about Ray not doing a lot in this match. But if if Dean is the wrestler he's supposed to be, he scouted Ray Mysterio and knows he needs to ground him. So even more logic to wrestling. Everything means something, guys. Like even, I mean, Tanae talks about on commentary Ooh. that Dean Malenko is a wrestler's wrestler. He scouts people. So, duh. Why wouldn't he? Oh, look at this. Dude, and and he, he's just working that arm. And he, they're telling a good story. It, they're, they're, it's a cruiserweight title match. It's not all flips. It's they're, they're breaking, you know, the match down. And he's working over that elbow. And it looks real. Like he's putting it to him. Well, you, you you tell the story of the guy that's the technician that's in that division that's going to ground everybody, ground and pound them, and and take that away from them. And that's what Dean Malenko was. No emotion. He really is the Iceman. You don't see him show much emotion ever in matches around this time because that was his gimmick. But, like, he very rarely shows any signs of excitement, pain, anything. Steve Blackman stole his gimmick later but couldn't do it as good. I, yeah, you're right. Sincerely, that, that you're, you are completely right. Uh, I do have to say, uh, the referee, he counts so fucking slow. I don't know if you've noticed it, but he counts so slow for every pin. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the Cruiserweight title? What do you think of the design? I I actually like this title a lot. Like it's to me, it was better than the WWF light heavyweight belt. It's better than the original WCW light heavyweight title. Um, it's just an iconic title. Like when they try to change it later, uh, around like 2000 and stuff, I I hated it. Like when they tried to, I guess they tried to go over the old belt or something. I, I didn't like it. Like this is this to me is the iconic cruiserweight title. I agree. I feel like it's a combination of like the original light heavyweight title belt, um, the current TV title belt, and the the TV title belt that Arn had last, like that that title belt, the last version of the mm-hmm. uh, WC the TV title before the one that they're at now. Um, I feel like it's a combination of all those, and I really uh, I like it. I think it's a cool design. I think it looks it looks great. It looks fantastic. I think I think. This is one of the highlights for me. I really enjoyed the big WCWs on the side plates too. Like that was really oh, something yeah. different and unique. Like you didn't see that on every belt. It felt like its own, essentially. Yeah, and, and I, I'm I'm a big fan of all of WCW's belts around this time. Uh, the TV title is hit or miss. I actually like the older version more, um, but I like the US title. It's very iconic. The big gold is the big gold. And the tag belts are low-key. Probably my top five favorite tag belts that they have. Yeah, until like Scott Scott Hall throws it around so much the side plate comes off. And then they never replace it. And then they get get those new tag title belts shortly after that. And Um, I don't hate small, though. I didn't hate those belts. Um, Especially when they redid them and made them a little bigger. I didn't didn't hate them. Yeah. Yeah, they, I feel like they had a, a pretty good little iconic um, look to him. It looks like he's trying to get him set up for a, a surfboard here. Ray's trying to fight it off. Just some good damn wrestling. Just that's that's what this is. Just 
everything they built it up to be in the lead up. Like this, this match was going to steal the show. And Count beautiful, Riff. beautiful pinning combination. Where the fuck is Tommy Young when you need him? Yeah, fucking love me some Tommy Young. You're right there. You are right. Uh, on the commentary, man, we got Dusty and Tony with Mike. And with Dusty on commentary, Tony asked Mike if he got everything Dusty was saying, and it made me laugh. Like, that's like, oh, no, no, baby. And he's like this. Though. He's like, right, Mike. And then Mike's like, yeah, Dusty. And Tony's like, did you get everything that Dusty said? And he's <laughs> and, uh, sure did, Dusty, Tony. Like, yeah, Dusty was like, it's like, he knows what I'm talking about, Tony. He knows more than you do. It was so funny. It made me laugh so hard. It that, was, that was a beautiful rolling uh, arm arm submission there. Forgot the name of it. I, I blanked. But this is like, a, like a Kimura almost. Wrist, like a top wrist lock almost kind of thing. Like is using his arm against his arm. Like it's, it's moves you don't see very often. It's very much lends himself to the man of a thousand holds. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. They do mention on this too, that Eddie and Liger um, just had a match where Eddie defeated Liger in the super J cup. So they even put the super J cup over by they, I mean, Mike Tanay. <laughs> they put yeah. him over. Fuck Tony, oh, Tony does too. Tony does too as well. He's probably just, he's probably just following Tanay's lead there. No way Tony Schiavone's <laughs> watching the damn Super Jacob at this time. No. No, there's no fucking way. Especially him being married to Lois. No way. And Dusty uh, definitely is not. <laughs> Dusty Rose, no, baby. No look, look, at, look at the way the elbow looks. Like It looks like he's put so much pressure and pain onto it. It's it's great. And it's a cool s- tactic because, like you said, it almost looks like Dean scouted Ray and saw that he's a high flyer, and he keeps him grounded almost the, this entire match. Yeah, and Ray Selling is very, very good here. Like he's he's kicking his feet, trying to get out. Like he's doing everything he can to try to alleviate the pressure. And this, yeah. it, it, you touched on it earlier, man. But the way Ray Mysterio's body has changed Ooh. from this point till now, the tattoos, just it, like the way he it presents himself now, is just crazy to believe that this is the same guy that just won the United States title the other night on uh, SmackDown. Yeah, it's wild. Um, that's what, what, 27 years ago? Yeah. Wow. 27 years ago this happened. We're fucking, we're fucking yeah. old, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's nuts. Uh, uh, man, I just like you said, I, I, he's very sympathetic. He's still working over that arm. Uh, what did you think of the cruiserweights? I mean, uh, I watched a lot of WCW at the time. I know you you were kind of more of a WWF guy, um, but I grew up watching both, and it was always a treat for me to see them because as a kid, they're doing all this really cool shit that you know, like on the WWF. You know, this is '96. The only person I'm seeing really do shit like this was the One Two Three Kid and Shawn Michaels, and maybe Hakushi. That's the yeah, only Hakusha. only people, and Hakushi's gone by this point. Um, I I love the cruiserweights, man. It was a more exciting style. Um, it it was like must see TV. Like like that was the reason I watched the first hour of Nitro back in the day was because I loved wrestling, but I really wanted to see a cruiserweight match, and they always put one in the first hour to try to get you hooked to stay there and watch watch it. And then when they started getting storylines like with. Jericho and Malenko, we covered late, you know, earlier in in, in our podcast. Eddie, Eddie and Ray, Eddie and Ray, uh, even in a, even uh, Benoit Malenko, like they weren't, they were having battles, but it wasn't 
necessarily during the cruiserweight era, but like they started wrestling each other when they were cruiserweights, essentially. So Ultimo Dragon, I loved Ultimo Dragon. Didn't know anything about him, but like his his so gimmick, his cool. co- costume was cool. The colors, the mask. I loved him more than Rey Mysterio just because I thought he looked cooler, oh, and I loved shit. playing with him on the the WCW game. But um, I was a fan of the cruiserweights, man. It it, it blew my mind because it was stuff I wasn't seeing. Had never really seen before because WWF's the land of the giants, and even WCW at this point was kind of the land of the giants with Steen, oh, yeah. Hogan, Giant, no <laughs> pun intended, Giant, um, and Luger. Springboard shot, oh, hit his head right on that concrete. <laughs> and we're start and we're starting to see here, you know, the, the pace is starting to pick up a little bit. The crowds pop and like this is fucking cool. And this is when they kind of kick it into like the next gear, like it's 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 rolling right into you know close to the finish and. Ray Ray is finally getting some offense in now that his you know his arm's been worked over this entire show. Uh so let's go ahead and talk about it. Travis Cagematch.net users, what do you think they rated this match? Uh, I'm gonna go eight. Springboard drop kick. You're close. It's a 7.94 out of 10. Um, most saying that this is the first great uh match on WCW programming for the Cruiserweight Championship, which I can agree with that. And mm-hmm. oh, Great Ooh. reversal! Oh my God! Yeah, we let, let's talk. Let's talk about this sequence before we get to the to the uh, Lene's Mountie Mark this week. This this is awesome. The whole ending sequence here is fucking great. Like you, like I said, you can tell they're going into like the you know the next gear, and everything they're doing is just fucking awesome. Ray catches him. Springboard Frankensteiner. One, two. That ref Thanks. takes forever. He took away from that that pin right there. It looked like he had him though. Like if you now that would have been the finish, but back then you're like, oh my god, he's gonna beat him first night in with with that yeah, damn springboard. It's a great debut here. So this is oh, oh here it goes. I just, I just, I like the way Malinka Malinka is like, oh crap, this guy's starting to catch up to me. Start I thought he was gonna up. go for the gut buster because that gut buster he does is fucking awesome. But Ray starts hitting knees. Top rope Frankensteiner. That, that gut buster is a be- thing of beauty, but I know oh, it probably dude, hurts it like fuck. <laughs> For yeah, he, both he, of them. He didn't really do it much, you know, in WCW. He did it the first little bit, but I was hoping he broke it out in this match, and he did not. You see, Ray, there's a reversal. Great spot, like a tilt-a-whirl, oh. and he lands right on top of him into a splash. I'm telling He's you, man. the momentum this- against him. When I was watching this in the in the the area at work uh, here, oh here we go. So look, he thinks he's gonna get Great, him with another Frank maneuver. Steiner. God fucking damn! Power bomb, feet on the ropes. One, two, three. Great fucking Great. finish. Look Great at the crowd. maneuver and good hillish maneuver too. To show him that he had to cheat to beat the baby face on his first night in to get to get the win. I love the finish. It made sense for what was happening there. He worked him the whole match. It came down to the end. Ray started, you know, started to get some spark because he got got away from him tearing him down, keeping him on the map, and he almost got him. But Dean catches him with that power bomb. Fucking and great! And to me, Dean Malenko, he may not have been the first champion because of Tani or whatever, but he's the first real cruiserweight he's champion. The, and he he's puts really the that, first. He puts that belt on the map. By having excellent matches with everyone. Oh. And this is the first time him and Rey Mysterio touch. And this is the classic match you get from it. And it only gets better 
from here. Cruiserweight division and them two in matches together. I agree. Really quick, so Lene's Mountie Mark this week. Mm. As we see that terrible promo, I'm getting that off there. Uh, Lene's Mountie Mark match journal wrote five out of ten. I'm not fond of this match for a number number of reasons. Malenko is never the most in- interesting worker to me, and having Mysterio debut his style in a match that neutralized his shine makes for a match that never grabs me. Uh, surprised he didn't rate it lower, but um, man, that's Dean Malenko's gimmick. He's not supposed to be flashy. He's not supposed to be over the top. He's very much a ground and pound wrestler cut from the eighties. He's, he's, he's like a silent assassin almost. Like, I mean, they called him the shooter in ECW for a reason. Cause he came in there, kicked your ass and didn't no frills about it. So disagree with him on the whole Dean Malenko thing. Like Dean Malenko is a technical wrestler that can break out some big moves, like a gut buster. He had the top rope power bomb. He did a couple times, um, he even just that damn snap power bomb right, did to beat Rey Mysterio there. Um, it, it's a flash to his moveset, but like he pulled that out when he needed to, like his, his repertoire and moveset made sense with each match he did. Um, and Rey Mysterio it's it's like we talked about earlier. Like the guy says he didn't get enough of Rey Mysterio's moveset. Well, coming into this, most fans didn't know what Rey Mysterio's moveset was. So if you're watching this now, yeah, you know he could do all this other stuff. But 1996 size, this guy's busting out stuff you've never seen before. And the thing of it is, is Dean Malenko has worn him down the whole match. Like, this is him trying at the end. He's caught Dean Malenko off guard. He's getting the chance to bust out some of his moves. But it's like you said, it's just a little taste. You're not going to give them everything when you want them to tune into Nitro and other pay-per-view matches to see what this guy or essentially this kid can do. So this guy didn't make me as mad as previous ones with zero out of tens and stuff, but I definitely think this guy's wrong. Like he's watching it from 2022, 2023 eyes. He's not watching it from what, what it you should be going into thinking it. Cause if you went into thinking, okay, this is WCW 1996. First time we've ever seen Rey Mysterio. What are we going to see out of this guy? And, and I, everybody's guilty of it. Cause they've seen it. You know, they've seen Rey Mysterio for 30 years. Hell, he got booed at the Royal rumble that year. And he was a huge fan favorite. So, you know, people people expect a certain level from Rey Mysterio going back and watching matches. But you got to think, man, like, this is a younger kid. He's just getting his feet wet. And Dean Malenko is very much leading the match. And, and he does a fantastic job leading the match. So, don't agree with Matt's journal. Maybe he should turn that into a diary and cry into his cock-shaped pillow tonight because he doesn't know what wrestling <laughs> quality is. Sorry, buddy. What kind of name is Matt? Matt. like somebody that shoves Funko Match. Pops up their ass and licks toes. You're right. That's <laughs> a deep cut. All right, Travis. So on to the aftermath here. At Bash of the Beach, Raid uh, defeated Psychosis in a number one contenders match to earn another opportunity at the Cruiserweight title. The very next night on Monday Nitro, he defeated Dean Malenko to win his first Cruiserweight Championship. That's the match you're talk- you talked about earlier mm-hmm. that you saw um, around that time frame of him getting the title. Good match. Yep. Good match, too. Um, the Psychosis match at Bash of the Beach isn't bad, either. It's pretty good, too. It's just overshadowed by what happens at Bash of the Beach. Yep. That's pretty much the only thing with that. 
he reigned as champion for three months, which included title defenses against Ultimo Dragon, love that guy, at Hog Wild, and Super Kello at Fall Brawl, before losing the title to Dean Malenko at Halloween Havoc on October 27th. That match but, from Halloween Havoc is on our list. Fun fact, I also watched Hog Wild 96 today because that is the show I cover with the Wrestling Purist this week. So, Ultimo Dragon, uh, Rey Mysterio is pretty damn good, and it's also when Rey Mysterio breaks out the Spider-Man gear uh, oh, that's so yeah. synonymous with uh, the video games later on. WCW, but, yep. NWO Revenge. Yep. It, it, I had forgot that match was on the card, but it, it's a very it's a very good match. Uh, Sonny Ono, Ono kind of takes away from it a little bit, but it's, it's a very good match. That card, if it wasn't in Sturgis with all those fucking motorcycles and horns beeping and revving, would actually have been a good card. Yeah. I'm trying to think, 96. Does, does Malenko work Benoit on that show? Or is it he works year? into a time time limit draw, and then they get two bonus periods. And then the Harlem Heat wrestles the Steiners. Outsiders wrestle Luger and Sting. The main events, uh, Hogan and Giant. Um, <laughs> the only real bummer of a match is uh, Scott Norton versus Ice Train. It's the blow up of fire and ice, baby. Blows up. It's probably the wrong oh. place to blow that feud off. <laughs> Medusa, Medusa, and Bonacano wrestle in a uh, "your bike gets destroyed" match. Whoever whoever loses their bike gets destroyed. I can't even I can't even be mad because Bonacano and Medusa and Lunder Blaze, fucking amazing matches in WWF. So oh, yeah, just not a good stipulation there. I get it at all. Ray would go on to take on Ultimo Dragon at World War World War Three in a great match that is also on our list. Mm-hmm. After a successful title defense against Psychosis at World War Three, Dean lost the Cruiserweight title to Ultimo Dragon at Starcade 1996, which is also on our list. But on that same show, Ray would battle it out with Ultimo Dragon, and guess what? That match is also on our list. <laughs> There's some Everything. good ones, man. This this is prime cruiserweight era. Like, what do you say? Through the middle, probably the end of '98 is like really the prime of the cruiserweights. Because like, I would say middle, middle '98. Yeah. I think I honestly, to, to be fair, the cruiserweight title pretty much peaked with the Jericho Malenko feud. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's kind of a downhill turn after that. Yeah, I agree. Dean would then defeat Ultimo Dragon at Clash of the Champions 34 to win his third Cruiserweight Championship. He would hold the belt for nearly a month before losing it to six at Super Brawl 7. Malenko lost the match after Eddie Guerrero inadvertently caused Malenko to be hit with uh, Guerrero's U.S. title belt. Malenko then entered into a feud with Eddie Guerrero over the U.S. Championship. The match between the two took place at Uncensored and Interference from Six played a role again. Six tried to take Guerrero's U.S. title, but in the process dropped his camcorder that he would carry to the ring with him. After Guerrero took the belt back, Malenko hit Eddie in the back of the head with the camcorder and knocked the champion out, enabling him to pin Guerrero and win his first U.S. championship. Pretty good little feud. And it's a weird time because Malenko and Guerrero are feuding over the United States title, which is essentially the second biggest title in the company but it's all overshadowed by the NWO. Like you never hear them talk about their feud over the U S title because the NWO is so hot. 
Like that's all anybody's talking about. Tag titles and the world title, U.S. title, essentially, really doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, but it, they had great before matches. Before it gets too great. bad, yeah. yeah. It, before it gets too bad, before it's kind of it's this is starting to get where it's kind of like, oh my god, every fucking match. Dean would hold the U.S. title until June 9th, nineteen ninety-seven, on an episode of Nitro where he lost it to Jeff Jarrett. Fun fact: <laughs> Dean Malenko was known was named PWI's Wrestler of the Year for nineteen ninety-seven. And, and that I think was, watching this match, it's very, it's very obvious why. It's wild to think that though, when you look at who all has years in '97, like Brett is on on fire in 1997, Austin is on fire in 1997, gets dropped on his head. Undertaker's the world champion, having good match good I, matches with everyone. I think you could argue because Sean, Brett, and Austin all get hurt in '97. Yeah. So th- you could make the argument of that, but I mean, I know it probably pissed a lot of people off. Like Dean Malenko, number one. Well, then you got Dean look, was look, having great matches, man. He he was having he was having great matches, uh, and he feuded over the U.S. title and all that stuff. But then you got to look at people like Lex Luger, uh, was on a tear in WCW '97, wins yeah. the belt. Uh, uh, 1997 is the year Diamond Dallas Page becomes a star. Essentially, his feud with Randy Savage was oh God, probably peak peak it, WCW in nineteen ninety seven. So he got it over a, a lot of guys that were having career fucking years in nineteen ninety seven, which is well, good for him. But it's like it's like he said in the article though, or uh, Bischoff said he said is when they covered him on eighty three weeks. He's like, does it come with any more money? And they're like, no. He's like, well, what the fuck does it matter then? That's <laughs> like, true. I mean, it's true. WI, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not. I get any more money for it. What's it? What's it really matter in the long run? Really quick. So we're talking about '97, and a lot of people will say that Savage DDP is the feud of '97. But I think you could also argue Brett Austin is feud of '97 as well. You know, oh, I, I, you could argue to, Taker and Sean as well. So, but between the two, between Austin and Brett and DDP and Savage, who had the feud of the year in '97? I'm gonna go against my my WWF roots here, but if you look at it, Brett and Austin's feud really started in 1996, uh, and the, their blow off is within the what the first four months essentially WrestleMania. They have the Matt rematch at Revenge of Taker, and then they kind of have the Austin versus the Hart Foundation through the rest of the year. But Brett and Austin never touch anymore after Calgary Stampede. It's on to Owen and stuff. DDP and Randy Savage's feud is the is the entirety of '97. They have multiple matches that make DDP a star. They headline a pay per view that Hulk Hogan is not on at all, and have a tremendous match. I don't think I don't think I think it's Hogan, two, isn't it? Because well, it's I know they have Stampede and Great American Bash. Am I wrong? And th- I think they wrestle again at Halloween Havoc. 97 too, right? Yeah, but Hogan wrestles yeah. uh, Piper in the cage at 97. Hey, Hogan, yeah, Ho- Hogan's on that show. But yeah, I mean, you got to think about it. When Hogan's not there, Savage and DDP's the draw. And to me, Hogan, I, I love the Brett Austin feud, but you could consider part of it happens in 96. The whole, the whole entirety of DDP Savage is 97, and it takes them through the summer when, you know, Hogan's not there. And it's a focal point of the show. Like when, and you got to think. Then again, Brett gets hurt; he's out for a few months. 
Austin gets hurt. He's out for a few months, and they essentially never get to blow off their feud. But Savage and DDP do, and I feel like that's that's the feud of 97 to me. I agree. I agree with that. Travis, I hurt my heart pause. a little bit. <laughs> Pun intended. Um, let's, uh, let's polish this episode off. What would you give this match out of 10? I would say an I'd say a solid eight. Um, the referee hurts the match to me some because he's not there for some of those spots that would make. I think if he was, if you had a Nick, even a Nick Patrick or a Randy guy Anderson. like Tommy Young, Randy Anderson, Mickey J, somebody like that that had some urgency, like some of these near falls would have meant more, would have been a little bit more, you know, spectacular. Um, I, I think you know the cheat to win finish could hurt a little bit, but to me it makes sense. But I'd give it a solid eight. I feel like it's a great debut for Red Mysterio. You don't get the whole, you don't get the whole, you know, piece of the pie there, but you get enough to be like, man, Red Mysterio is fucking cool. And you see why, and then you get to see why Dean Malenko is the wrestler of the year in 1997. He's been on a great match, technical skill, everything. But to me, the biggest, the biggest hurt on this match is the ref. And he kind of, kind of makes some of these moments that would have put it over the top not as not as exciting because he's not there he's not there for the spots i agree i give i give it an eight as well i, I really think the cage match was pretty spot on it, like i said it was like a 7.94 so it's pretty spot on i agree with that i think it was a fun storytelling like i said he was keeping them map based trying to keep them from flying it's like he did his research i completely agree with that i like that a lot um but yeah i think this is the first kind of showing with the Cruiserweight title, like these guys competing for something and starting to add prestige to the title. You know, it kind of get hot potatoes around because it's kind of like how like the TV title used to be where everyone, you know, if it's on TV, that's the title that's changing hands, makes this, makes it feel like something big's happening. Um, but, you know, this is already only, you know, halfway through the year of 96. You're about to get the influx of the NWO, but then you're going to start seeing guys like Liger return, Dragon show up. Um, Guerrero, uh, you're going to start seeing more and more guys like this, Psychosis, uh, for too long, who he's going to pop up. Um, Jericho's going to start popping up. I believe he, does he show up in 96? In the 96, yeah, because he's that smiling baby face. Cow, yeah. I, I will say this baby. is also a cold, just like a cold match. It's just oh, Dean yeah. defending against Rey Mysterio. So their story develops after this, like, you know, Later on, like they they have essentially a great feud through the rest of 1996. But for this to be a cold match, they got the crowd invested. Oh yeah, Pe- people people wanted to see this match. Like people were cheering Dean Malenko from the beginning with like his arm bars and counters. But you got to think Baltimore is a wrestling city. It really it's is not a spot fest city. It's a wrestling city, and you can look at what Rey Mysterio does here and gets this crowd hyped. And here it is, Eric. They don't have to go through fucking light tubes. They don't have to go through 16 tables. They don't have to light a fucking ladder on fire and, you know, sit on the, sit it on there and light their ass hair on fire to get people to react. So I, I think this is a great match for what it is, but later on when they get their story and stuff, it probably bump it up some more as far as the ratings go, but this is their initial outing and it's, it's a tremendous match. And it, you're not getting everything, but that's part of the story. They're not going to show you everything because it's their first time in the ring together. Yeah, and I like it. I like it a lot. And like I said, the, the entire show started to grow on me. There was a lot of stuff I kept watching. Like this is pretty good. Um, so you're, you know, like I said, we're building up to 
you know, the NWO showing up and the wrestling world pretty much changing. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see Dean Malenko pretty much kind of be the flag bearer for the cruiserweight division at this time. Uh, mm-hmm. When I think cruiserweight champion, that's who I think. I think of him and I think of Ray. Those are the two main guys I think of in the cruiserweight division. Um, and then you could add Jericho in there for later and Eddie, it's kind of your four guys, but um, Dean Malenko was the cruiserweight division. And then, you know, he moves up to the U S title, which I think it's a promotion to me. And um, it, mm-hmm. it clearly shows that they do. They did have some faith in his ring work, and and then that they they trusted him. So, guys, if you get a chance, definitely go back and watch some more of the show. There's a lot of good, a lot of cool stuff on it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd give it a solid eight. Skip Big Bubba and Tenta. Just skip right over that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You are correct. So, Travis, now comes time for uh, my favorite part of the show. The Will of Destiny. Guys, if you're new to the show, this is how we decide what match we're going to cover next. Myself and Travis have an ongoing list of, uh, what are we at now? 300 even. We're at 300 even again. Matches uh, that we think are pretty cool are wrestling recommendations. These date back to 1977 all the way to SummerSlam that just happened um, just a couple of weekends ago. So there's some new stuff on there all the way up to 2023. Uh, This spans out with WWF, WCW, WWF, WWE, NWA, Ring of Honor, AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, NGW, the show I'm involved with, some U, uh, UWF stuff. There's, It's kind of you know all over the place. I think there's some WCCW matches on there as well. Yeah. And it's and it's crazy. We're sitting at 300, and, and just on this podcast, we've mentioned two or three we want to add to the list. So uh, I there is a match from the G1 climax that just happened that I saw is really good. Haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, Naito and Osprey apparently like stole the show the night they wrestled to see who would go into the finals. So um, once I watch that, that'll probably get added to the list. But man, we're we're adding stuff all the time from something we just see again. I got one right here for Benoit and the Rock in a cage match from Raw 2000. Um, so. It's 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 getting updated all the time. The, the list will never end. Essentially, as long as there's wrestling around and more stuff we find or suggested, the list just going to keep growing. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's that's the fun thing about this show. When we came up with the concept of this, we were always worried like, are we ever going to run out of matches? And I think at the time we had like, what maybe like a, like a, yeah, like 175, and we were like, let's get to 200. And then you know, of course, people always suggest matches to us as well. And um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cool things on this list, and there's a lot of stuff that we've not even touched yet that I'm really getting excited to potentially cover. And no, but Eric, Trav- I will I will not add Jeff Hardy from TNA 2010. You can you can stop suggesting Jeff Hardy <laughs> matches from TNA 2010. Yeah, you're right, Travis. What do you think we're gonna get this week? Ah oh, man, I I'm going to go uh, late '90s WWF. I'm going to go early '90s WCW. So we'll go right in the middle. Great American Bash '96. <laughs> two, two weeks Dude, in a row. <laughs> if we get it, we're playing the lotto because that shit last week blew my mind, and uh, it was I pretty fun. Anything. I didn't win anything last week, so I didn't get to build our recording studio. So fuck. All righty, guys, we're going to spin the wheel and make a deal. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Spin the Fuck wheel. you, Eric. Fuck you, Fuck Eric. You, Eric. Fuck you, Fuck Eric. Fuck you, Eric. You, Scott. Shut up. Fuck you, Scott. Fuck you, Scott. <laughs> we love you guys. Also, Ooh. fantasy football updates coming soon. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that'll be yeah, that'll be soon. I got like fucking four drafts to do this year. Jesus Christ. So it landed on it, and we've talked about this match, but not this event and this match. So it takes place in '93. 1993. Okay. It's WWF. WWF. Hmm. WWF 93. That's it's a strange. Is it perfect in Shawn Michaels? No. But no. these two guys have already wrestled in a match together on our podcast. WWF 93. Wow. Go hit it. Hit me with it. I'm going to be so mad. Razor Ramon versus Bret Hart, Royal Rumble 93. Oh, fuck yeah. I will take that. That's a fun little show to talk about, and it's a fun little sh- uh, way to talk about how Razor even got in that spot for the Royal Rumble in 1993. Yes. Royal Rumble 93, kind of kind of a lackluster Rumble match, but they make up so, for it with some undercard. We already talked about this because they Brett and Razor, we, we covered Brett's entire King of the Ring run, which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite episodes we've done. I really enjoyed watching all three matches back to back to back to kind of see you know, the different styles with him and Razor, him and Perfect, him and Bam Bam. Um, but this match, to me, I still like this match more than the King of the Ring match. Agreed. I, I, I do as well. They're, they have more time, some more stakes to it. Um, and it, it's kind of Razor's coming out party for the WWF too. Like, but it's also if if you look at this match and then look at how the the next couple of months go for Razor Ramon, it tells you they did not have a solid plan for Razor Ramon through WrestleMania. Like, unless unless their plan fell apart, if it was supposed to be him and Warrior at WrestleMania, that makes sense. And then Razor just kind of got the shit into the stick there because Warrior leaves. But you got to think, man, like this is Razor's only been in the company for what, four months? And he's already getting a world title shot against Bret Hart at the Rumble. Um, that's also cool ass Bret Hart gear that we've talked about multiple times. Um, and it's also, we played the promo for Razor and Bret at the King and the King of the Ring episode. And they talk about this match. And Razor talks about how he almost had Bret in the match. And then. You know, Brett makes some comment like, yeah, but I was, I still walked out the belt. And then they go into like, he won't walk out tonight. So they, they very much touch on it because it's, it's probably one of the best matches of 1993 for the WWF. And I don't know why I didn't think of it. It's a good one. I, I, of course, Brett has the iconic gear. Uh, he has the pink jacket on this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Razor's in green, if I'm not bad. He is in green. But- I think this is the same gear he wears when he wins the Intercontinental title. I could be wrong. Yep, because the model, Rick Martel. Yep, because they were in the Battle Royal. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. Like you said, uh, talk about who was originally supposed to be in this match, what happened, a lot of things that changed. Brett, I think we'll probably start from Brett's title run to uh, to here, right, where it started to this match, uh, and then talk about the Royal Rumble. Um, we've talked a lot of, extensively about Razor, Scott Hall, and Brett to that point, so... Uh, it's going to be fun to kind of cover this one. Uh, we're starting to get a lot of matches now. We're like kind of the same. This is Brett's what match? Like, I can't even tell you how many matches. Is it his fifth? fifth? His fifth episode? I want to say it's his fifth because he his our debut episode. He was one night only. Um, one night he, only. Owen King, and Owen. King Owen of the and Ring. Brett, King of the Ring. Oh, dang it. He's had another one. 
he's had he's had other matches. I know. I think it's his fifth match, though. I mean, yeah, hell, we're almost at fifty episodes. So <laughs> right now, he's looking at like ten percent of our episodes have been Bret Hart. Isn't that wild to think about? That just goes to show the quality of wrestler that Bret Hart is, at least in our eyes, that we like. Um, and it's weird that really Ric Flair was our our first. He, he was on. That was his first match last week, and trust me, he's got multiple more matches on the list. It's just the way the wheel spins. It's a shoot, brother. We don't know what we're doing until we until we hit that button. You're right. Because right. Brett, final here. four. Brett was in the final four. Final four. That's another one. Yeah, uh, so Brett and Austin, right? From WrestleMania 13, we've covered that. Too, we've right? not covered WrestleMania 13. Oh, it's not, not. Up on the list yet. Yeah, so we have one night stand. Uh, we have, have the Fatal 4 match. We have the King of the Ring run. And we have the um, Owen and Brett. Yep. So this is Brett's fifth episode. Yep. Shout out to the Hitman, five-time WWF champion, now five-time <laughs> podcast uh, topic. Brett the Hitman. That's crazy. That's crazy. Travis, let's polish this episode off, man. What you got for me? Not much, man. Just same thing. Still selling stuff over there on TGL, the Man 12 on the Ebays. Trying to get stuff, taking pictures off, put up. Um Shout out to our buddy Skip. Uh, me and him bought tables for the uh, Smoky Mountain Collectors Fest coming up here in October, um, 13th and 14th. Come on down. I think it's $5 admission if you want to get in. Um, we, we have tables for two days. I know our buddy Eric is coming in to, to going to sell some stuff. Brandon from Rants from the Black Lodge is going to stop by on that Saturday. Eddie's going to be out of town on the Friday, but I believe he said he would stop in on the Saturday, hang out with us a little bit. Um, I think that's the week you and Landry were going somewhere or something, maybe. Is it remember. October? Yeah, October. Uh, I, we decided that we were going we were going to go to Salem this year. We decided we're going to put it back a year, or uh, yeah. but I do have a week off that I'm taking um, the 9th through the 13th of October. So, so we'll figure so something gonna, out. We'll start we'll start plugging that a little bit more so we get closer because I mean it's only two months away. I got to start getting stuff ready for the show and pricing it and everything. But we have a three table spread. Three table spread there, guys. Premium corner. So if people don't show up or start moving, we'll start taking over their tables again because, by God, that's just <laughs> what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, wrestling figures, Power Rangers, Turtles. I'm sure Skip's got Dragon Ball Z stuff and Yu-Gi-Oh! and whatever, you know, Naruto, Pokemon. whatever he's <laughs> into. Um, I know, we're, looking to, we're looking to make it successful and have a good time with these guys. I mean, we always have fun at these little conventions and stuff we do. So... Come on down to that. Look it up on Facebook. We'll probably share a link or two as, as time gets closer. But looking forward to that. Shout out the guys at Bleeding John. You know, we don't have as much um, excitement to see if John Moxley is going to bleed and we record on Tuesday nights. But those guys are on top of it, man. They're doing the Lord's work. Apparently showed up at PWG this week and did not bleed. Like, uh, I don't think anybody knew that was happening. I mean, they might as well just call PWG AEW Light because every match had a uh, AEW wrestler in it. But um, Looking forward, you know, to see if he bleeds tomorrow night or whatever. And also, shout out to the Wrestling Purist. I will be appearing this week on their podcast to cover Hogwild 1996. So I will get to talk about Rey Mysterio again against Ultimo Dragon. And I will get to talk about Dean Malenko again against Chris Benoit. So looking forward to doing that with those guys. Um, and that's about all I got there, good buddy. Yeah. Speaking of Wrestling Purist, the following week, I am going to be on SummerSlam 2002, which is. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest wrestling cards ever. 
Uh, it's, it's a Tremendous. great show, top to bottom. Um, and then uh, I'll be on there. Uh, guys, follow Wrestling Recommendations on all social media platforms. Follow us at Wrestling Recommendations on Facebook and TikTok. TikTok's blowing up. The last episode with Sting and Flair uh, posted that clip. I had Travis get it for me. I was like, I know this clip's going to do well. It yep. did well. It's it's had a lot of, I think it's like 100,000 views or something like that. And, and you know what, Jeff? Fuck you. Sting's a draw. Sting's a draw, brother. Unlike Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Fuck Jim Duggan. Just going to say that right now. The wrestler, not the human being. Yeah. Hacksaw, <laughs> you're a good guy. Character not so much. Uh, but yeah, check us out at Wrestling Reckham on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. We're going to still call it Twitter. Do we tweet um, or do we X now? Do we tweet? It says repost. So like, I noticed it doesn't say retweet now. It says repost, which is wild. Lame. Fuck I was going to tell you that the other day. when I, I was yesterday and I saw it. I hope, um, I hope Zuckerberg narks your ass out. It'll be it'll for too long. It'll be one big entity. Um, yeah. What else we got going on? Oh, the NGW. Of course, we got our show coming up October eighth. Uh, we're gonna start probably ramping that up here real soon. Um, Tyler Breeze and Dirty Dango teaming yep. up as Dirty Breeze. Um, I do. I did tell Travis about the next person that we have booked on that show. Uh, it's gonna be a fun one. Hell yeah, brother! I uh, look forward to that announcement because people's minds will probably melt. Do you have that guy's fig? I do not. Not right now, but I might can find worth, some. Might be worth getting one. Might be worth getting a couple. Um, and then I guess, uh, I mean, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but we have been in discussions to appear on the uh, Rants from Black Lodge podcast again. Uh, more details on that as it comes a- available. But I guess Brandon needs the rub, brother. <sighs> Fat Tony really? just ain't cutting the, cutting the mustard over there. Cutting the mustard. Yeah, oh, I want to cut through suck, his fat ass. <laughs> I'm going to cut through his fat ass like x Lax through his fat ass mama come this fantasy football league this year. Yep, fantasy. Yeah, you're, you're going to be hearing a lot of fantasy football shit talking soon because it's going to start ramping up. Uh, we just did our uh, our 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 lottery. Um, we It's tradition that we um, we put everyone's name into a hat or a bowl and my kids pick them out to see the draft order. Um, me and Travis usually are always after one another. Never, never fails. Every year. I'm either – He's either ahead of me and then the next round I'm ahead of him or vice versa. Like the last three years, he's already, I always have to worry because we think a lot alike when it comes to fantasy football and he'll always take the fucking person I want. And then you'll do it on the way back down. You'll fucking, you'll fuck me. On the way back down. Uh, my wife Landry has the number one pick in our draft she'll, and I, she, draft she said f- she was going to take a kicker. She's I was messing around. She, I was like, calm down, will. fucko. <laughs> she just fucking drafted three kickers one year. What the fuck is that? Sorry, Landry. But, you won't listen no, to this. She ain't going to listen. Yeah, she ain't going to listen to this. You're good. All right, guys. So until next week, we see another episode of Brett the Hitman Heart taking on Razor Ramon from Royal Rumble 93. I am Eddie, and this is Travis, and we'll see you then.